So typically in times when a Christian is struggling with a massive amount of hardship, a massive amount of suffering, um, when you, as an encouraging Christian, only have maybe like seconds or minutes, moments to help them, befriend them, give them some, some words of wisdom to live by, too often, uh, too many Christians will resort to this half-truth that you see printed for you here just know that God won't give you more than you can handle. And what's meant to be kind of like a spiritual booster shot to your faith and to your morale has two major flaws with it. The first flaw is that it doesn't work as intended. You know, if you're overwhelmed, you got all this stuff going on, and I just come up to you and say, hey, you know, kindly say God won't give you more than you can handle you're probably not necessarily going to be kind back to me. You know, if the, uh, the finances are just suffocating you, right? The, the mortgage is due, the rent is due, the loans are due, the bills need to be paid, the bills are going up, like everything else is going up. If you have a, a loved one that you just lost and you're not really sure how you're going to navigate the next 24 hours, let alone the next 24 years, if you just feel like your blood pressure, you don't feel it, you know it, it is way too high, your stress level is way too high, you feel like there is nothing else that you could possibly take, a straw, but then here comes a ton of bricks that's just laid on top of you and I were to come and say, it's okay. Because God won't give you more than you can handle. I have a feeling you're not just going to be necessarily mad or angry at me. You're probably going to be mad and angry at God himself. I mean, when you think about it, here's what's going to happen. If this is the truth, that God won't give you more than you can handle, if that's the actual truth of what the Bible says, then what's going to happen is you're going to say, well, God, how do you explain what's happening to me then? You say you're not going to give me more, and when in fact I feel like this is way more than I can handle, you get mad at him, you lash out at him, and maybe, maybe you even doubt him and doubt his goodness. Or maybe equally as damaging, you don't doubt him, but you kind of start to look at yourself, because if this is the truth that God won't give you more than you can handle, then you look at yourself and say, well, then I must be this spiritual weakling, this spiritual wimp, that I'm the only one who can't seem to handle all of this stuff that's going on, and you know what, maybe... Maybe it's because I, I never believed in Jesus in the first place. Maybe, maybe I really thought I had faith, but I guess I didn't. And, and then you doubt your own faith. And what's meant with all sincerity and all grace and all love, you see how it has the potential to actually do a lot of damage as all of these half-truths from Satan really do. And that brings us to the second flaw with this whole phrase. It doesn't work as intended because the Bible never says that. In fact, uh, there's time and time where the Bible says basically the opposite message. That God will put more on your plate than you can handle. That God will confront you with more stuff than you alone can take. Uh, for instance, uh, in the second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 
there's a section where Paul talks about his thorn in his flesh. And I think some of you guys maybe remember that. He says this thorn, whatever it was, it was so bad, it was so much tormenting him, that three times he goes to God and says, take this away from me. And God says, no. Because my grace is sufficient for you. Because my power is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul gets it. And he praises God for the hardship, for the thorn. And he says, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. Because that's when I rely on Christ all the more. Psalm 46 from the Old Testament, a beautiful psalm. I think many of you guys know it well. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help, right? God is our fortress. Not me, not myself, not my strength, not my power. God's our deliverer, not me. God's my shield, not me. God's my strength, not me. Later on in the psalm, it's like everything is quaking and shaking in the world, and when things seem so bad, and then there's this beautiful passage, be still. Why? Because know that I am God. I've got this. So many times when you read the Bible, God never points you towards yourself. He's never going to point you inward to your own willpower, but instead, he heaps so many times things that aren't just out of your control, but are way too much for you to handle so that you wouldn't turn inward, but heavenward. Not towards yourself, but towards God. Lean on him. Lean on his strength. Lean on the one who is bigger than all of your problems to get you through, right? And so if, if that is the actual truth, then where did this phrase come from? And it came from a passage that we read earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that sounds very similar, but Paul is not talking about hardship. He's talking about temptation. How temptation, God will not let you be tempted more than what you can handle. And that's how temptation works, isn't it? Like, temptation is this thing that just looks so good, so appealing, so desirable to the eyes, and it's right in front of you, and it's like this gravity pull that just kind of pulls you in, and no matter how hard you try to fight it, it just keeps sucking you in, and you just think to yourself, how can I say no to this? Like, it looks so good, it looks so pleasing, and, and I, just, I just can't resist. That, that, that's how temptation works, and that's what the Corinthians themselves were facing, were going through. I won't, I won't go through all of the ins and outs of the culture and everything about the, the city of Corinth, but suffice it to say, there was temple worship, and their family and friends were worshiping all these different idols, Apollos, Asclepius, Aphrodite, on and on. There was all sorts of different philosophies and cultural worldviews, so they had all of those influences. It was a wealthy town. They struggled with greed and all of those other types of things, and, and you add all of this up. Every single day, they... They walked out their doors. All these temptations were facing them. Their family, their friends, you know, we're trying to worship Aphrodite, the goddess of fertility here, and, and yet we can't seem to get pregnant because you, Christian, are not worshiping her, and, and that's your sister, and, and they're thinking, Paul, like, how am I supposed to say no to this? Like, all of this, these influences, all these things, and what they ended up doing was doing what so many Christians still today do. All right, Paul, we're still going to be Christian. We're still going to worship in Jesus' name. We'll pray in Jesus' name. 
but we're also going to tag along here. We're going to submit to this temptation. We're, we're going to do this thing, but it's okay because we still know God. We still believe in God. We still worship God. It, it'll be fine, right? And Paul picks up his pen and writes these first 13 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as a warning. A warning for their pride, a warning for their, their choices, but also as some comfort as well about the temptations they were facing. And it's my prayer that as we start to go through these words, that you yourselves will maybe, maybe jettison this half-truth from your vocabulary, or at the very least, see it in context, use it appropriately. But even more than that, that you yourself, when you understand your own battles of temptation, that you would see God's good news and his promises to help you in your fight against temptation. Now, first, the warning. The warning he gives to the Corinthians in verses 1 through 10 are essentially a, a giant Old Testament history lesson of things that took place within pretty much the first five books of the Bible and then beyond. He kind of summarizes uh, God's people, how they were chosen, how they were loved, and how they experienced God's goodness like no other. Uh, miracle of the Red Sea, parting before them, walking on dry ground, saving them from oppression and slavery in Egypt. And then not just that, but wandering in the wilderness, eating miraculous food, drinking miraculous water, having the presence of God, the visible presence of God, being able to go with them and dwell with them and guide them on their way to the promised land. And, and the Ten Commandments, like the OG, the original Ten Commandments from God given right to them, like they experienced all of these blessings, and yet, do you know what happened to most of them, Paul says? God was not pleased. Because they thought to themselves the same things that you Corinthians are thinking. They looked at what God was doing, and then they looked at their plans, their agendas, and thought, you know, I think I know a little bit more than God, and they grumbled. They looked at the nations around them, and they thought, they seem to have it pretty good. And I like the things that they're doing, and could we be a little more like them? And they rebelled. And despite God using messenger and prophet and messenger and prophet, calling them to repentance, in their pride, they thought, it's okay. This is fine. Stop. Whatever. We still know God. We're his chosen people. We're loved by God. We're special by God. And so God punished them. Sometimes putting hundreds, even thousands at a time to death for their pride and for their rebellion and for their lack of repentance. And then the point, the point of this whole history lesson in verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So do you see his point? Like you Corinthians, you're thinking to yourselves, it's okay, it's fine, it's good, it's, it's no big deal. We still know Jesus, we're still fine. He says, well, how is that any different than your ancestors? who were specially chosen by God, who experienced the, the many wonders and miracles of God, and yet they still rebelled. And God still punished several thousand of them. And you think you're different. You think that just because you intellectually know the truths of Jesus, that that means anything. And Paul says, don't, don't be fooled. You, you think you know these truths. 
you think that because you know of the Jesus that Paul preached in the past, that therefore that excuses some repentance in your presence. And he says, watch out. Because that's pride talking. And if you go down that path, you are going to be disappointed and you're going to end up the same way your elders did. Now that, that, that warning for the Corinthians is the same warning for us today too. Because there's this subtle temptation to think that I was baptized once. I took maybe a confirmation class or a, an adult Bible study class. I was a member of a church at one time and, and therefore I, I memorized some passages so I know. Like I know God, that's fine. And somehow that that can excuse yourself from living a life of repentance now. And I can tell you that uh, as a pastor, probably the hardest thing that I have to do is to talk to people in their pride who have disconnected themselves from the life-giving vine. And I can almost guarantee you how the conversation is going to go. Like whether it's someone who has just kind of fallen off maybe walked away for a little bit or, or been laxed or lazy or, or maybe someone who is just living right now in, in impenitence. And I go to them and with all humility and love of firmness and say, I'm worried about you because here's what God's word says and here's how you're living. I can almost guarantee you that the other person's going to say, I'm fine. Just don't worry about me. No, I get it. Yeah, I haven't been around for, it's okay. That's fine. Don't worry. I, I still know Jesus. I haven't forgotten John 3.16. It's okay. I, it's fine. I'll be all right. And you know what Paul would say to that? If you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. Because that's pride talking. But lest you think that this warning is just for some of us, um, it's really for all of us. Like you, don't, you don't have to be someone who's maybe been disconnected from God's word to hear this warning. You, you could be someone who never misses a Sunday. Someone who is a Christian and has been a Christian for two, three, four, five, six plus decades, and that's fantastic. But if you think to yourself that therefore your, your tenure in the church entitles you to some sort of grandiose authority or weight. Uh, Paul says, be careful. <laughs> if you think that because you've been a member of a church for so long and you've been so faithful in your attendance that therefore, I know enough. And I can kind of slack off in my sanctification now. Paul says, watch out. You know, if you, if you have this idea that because of your tenure or because of some past knowledge in your life, that that's okay to allow a temptation, to, to give in to a temptation, to allow it to take root in your life, Paul says, be careful. Pride comes before the fall, right? It happened to your ancestors. And if that's what's happening to you, wake up and see that they're headed down a dangerous path. Don't end up like them. Be careful. He warns them. He warns us. But then, Paul doesn't just leave a warning. 
He doesn't just smack us around a little bit with saying, like, come on, wake up, and then just move on to the next topic. No, instead, he knows that temptation is incredibly real, and it's a huge struggle. And so he gives the Corinthians and us a passage that is filled with so much encouragement and comfort. Uh, Here's what he says next. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. He says, I know the temptation's real. We got to address it. And here's what I'll say about it. He says, first, you know the temptation, it's hard, but it's common. Like it's, it's maybe unique to you versus someone else, but it's not unique to God. He has seen this all the time. Like I, I, think, of, um, I think of people trying to date today, especially younger people, younger Christians. Uh, have them in your prayers who are trying to date in a culture that says, well, casual sex is the norm, moving in, sleeping together, all this stuff, this is just the norm. And, and there's a lot of Christians who, who want to just live out God's design. But how do you do that in a world that is saturated with sex? How do you do that in a world that is saturated with these cultural views and it seems like it's just okay? And, and then when you look at the reality of it, like you're going to be so weird entering a whole new world population of people who don't share the same view. You're going to be looked at as weird. Even the, the practical idea of saying, wait a second, two grown adults paying two different mortgages or two rents before marriage? Like, and there's a the temptation. Like, how do I say no to this? Like, how, how do I not just give in to this? And what Paul says is, that temptation is common. Like, don't think that you're the only one who's ever struggled with it. Like, God has, has seen that temptation throughout all sorts of generations and has helped billions of Christians navigate through that and stay faithful to him. Has someone hurt you in the past and all you want to do is hold on to that grudge. You want to hold on to that bitterness, that righteous anger in your mind that you think it is because you don't understand pastor you don't understand it like what they did and how much it hurt you just don't get it and God says I have seen that same sin and that same hurt countless times and I've counseled countless Christians to forgive at the foot of the cross just as they themselves have been forgiven it's it's nothing new God has seen it. God can help. Should I talk about the, the thing that's been probably on everybody's thoughts and minds? The, the talk of the recession that's coming up, potentially? Gas prices have doubled. <laughs> Grocery bills are going up just like everything else. And you know what's not going up? Probably your income. <laughs> and, and maybe... For someone who is maybe just on the cusp of thinking, I'm going to be even more generous, or, or okay, I'm going to hear God's call, and I'm going to start being generous, and now you're just thinking to yourself, how in the world could I do that? There's no way. And, and, and the temptation to just pull back and pull away. And Paul says, that temptation is rather common. <laughs> I God has seen it. And this is not the first bout of hard times that God has ever had to deal with. It's not no, nothing new for him. And you don't even need a recession to even have that temptation. But he has helped billions 
and billions of people trust in him and be thankful in him and put their faith in him more than their wallet, and he can, he can help you too. See, whatever that temptation is that you're fighting, the temptation to have the next drink that you know is going to put you over, the temptation to watch that pornographic image or video that is so accessible or break that addiction that nobody else knows about, the temptation to just continue on gossiping and slandering just like so much of our cancer culture society right now, whatever that is, Paul says that temptation is common. God has helped them. He's helped her. He's helped him. He's helped billions and billions of people. And he is not going to leave you hopeless. There is no temptation that God is going to say, oh, I haven't seen that one before. Man, my word did not account for that temptation. I guess you're the exception and you're, no. He's got this. He has seen it all and he's not going to leave you helpless and hopeless, which is the next comfort that Paul gives. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Here is where that phrase seems to come in. Your enemy, the devil, would love you to think that you had no choice but to submit and give in to that temptation. Like, oh, the temptation was so big, it looked so good, and I, I couldn't do it, and it was impossible for me to say no. And yet the promise right here for you is that God says, no, it, he will allow you to be tempted, but not beyond what you can bear. It's kind of like he has Satan on a leash, And like the story of Job, he'll allow temptation to come into your life, but only up to a certain point. He knows your limits. He knows your limitations. He knows what you can handle and can't handle, and he'll act accordingly. So if something does come into your life, some temptation is there, God knows that it's not beyond what you can bear, but but he doesn't just end here and say nothing more. He allows you to be tempted, but on your own, just truly by yourself, it is more than you can handle. The devil is more powerful than you are on your own. Absolutely. Left to your own devices, you would fail, you would fall every single time, but that's why God doesn't leave you to your own devices, and that's why Paul doesn't just end everything here. He says, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. Like God is not going to leave you hanging, but instead he's going to be right there and help you and deliver you. I think maybe one of the best illustrations I heard of this, his, his name is Bill Fry. He's, he's an author. And he writes about this time when he was 11 years old. His dad went off to work and there was this tree stump in the front of his yard. And this stump needed to get removed. So 11-year-old Bill, he goes out there And he takes the shovel and he just digs at it for hours and hours. And then he takes his dad's axe and he's whacking at this thing for hours. And then he's taking the crowbar and just trying to pry at this thing. And for hours and hours and hours, he's sweaty, he's getting frustrated, and that stump is not budging. And then finally, dad comes home, gets out of his car, and just watches his son go to town on this tree stump. It's not going anywhere. And he yells out to his son, Son, you're not using all of your strength. How do you think little Bill responded to that? <laughs> like he quipped back, he screamed back at him, so mad, so what are you talking about? I've been out here for hours. 
And that's when the dad starts to walk towards him and smiles and said, no, son, you're not using all your strength. You haven't asked me to help you. And that's what your father is saying about your temptation. You know, whatever it is that's plaguing you, it, it probably feels like this stubborn stump. It just will not move. No matter how hard you tried. And the father says, that's why I'm not leaving you by yourself. But that's why I am here to help you. I am stronger than it. And I can help you. And, and a lot of times, people ask me, okay, that sounds great, pastor, but how does God help us? Let me give you three practical ways, at least, of ways God helps us. First is with prayer. You know the song, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. That's so true. Like how many times something comes up in our lives and we just are so fed up with it, but we haven't even prayed about it. I mean, isn't that what Jesus was telling his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane? Like, watch and pray. Get up and pray so that what? So that you won't fall into temptation. The Spirit is willing. But that flesh, it is so weak. Like, that's, that's what Paul is saying here too, right? That temptation, it's, it's powerful. And on your own, you, you can't handle it. But, but that's why God offers prayer. God offers help. In fact, Jesus himself wasn't just giving the advice. He was taking the advice. He was using the advice. He himself, facing the temptation to walk away from the cross. And what does he do? Prays. Maybe like he's never prayed before. And sweat like drops of blood for strength and encouragement to carry on with the mission. To not give in to the temptation to walk away. Right? And, and with that prayer comes God's word. We don't just have Bible studies. We don't just have growth groups. We don't just have sermons just so you can know more knowledge, but rather so that you can live that knowledge out so that you can know God's truth when you're facing the temptations. Because when you know God's truth, that he doesn't say you shouldn't do these things because he's some sort of diva or ogre who just wants you to love him and follow him, but he says, no, I know what's best for you. And I know that if you do those things, it will end up short-term pleasure, long-term pain. But instead, if you know God's word, then you can know the truth behind those lies and you can live that truth out. God offers help through prayer. God offers help through his word, his sacraments, but also maybe, maybe the most commonly overlooked and not used enough help is through Christian community. Oftentimes, and, and the Bible is filled with doing life together, with brothers and sisters and a family of God encouraging one another. But so many times, when you get caught up in a temptation, Satan gets you to think that if you were to talk to a pastor, if you were to talk to another brother or sister in Christ, that would be the worst thing ever. That the church would shun you, they would reject you, they would think, how could you? You did what? I'm so disappointed in you, I can't believe you. And, and if Satan gets you to think that, what, what happens? You get caught up in that temptation, you have nowhere to go, and it gets you to isolate, to pull away, and to live on an island, and eventually pulls you away from God. But I'm going to say, what if the exact opposite of true is true? What if that's a lie? And what if instead, 
you had mature brothers and sisters that you could go to and say, I messed up. I'm struggling with this, and I can't do it alone. And they wouldn't look at you like you're some sort of weakling, some sort of wimp, some sort of inferior Christian. They wouldn't self-righteously distance themselves from you, but instead they would come close. And they would say, we all are sinners and saints. And maybe you struggle with that, and I have my own struggles, and they have their own struggles, and we all have our own struggles, but God has seen it all, and God can help. And I'm not going to walk away from you, but instead, your brother or sister basically puts an arm around you metaphorically or literally and says, we're going to walk through this together. Now, the Bible is filled with all of these like one another and together passages. Bear each other's burdens. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed, right? There's all sorts of these passages that talk about how we're to encourage one another and lift one another up and do life together and help one another. So, so what if the church was that? It was just a place where, where you could go and you wouldn't just confess a sin, but you would hear another brother, another sister remind you of God's grace. That the sin, this temptation that you think is so so overwhelming, something that you can't conquer, and you've got a brother or sister who says, yeah, but you know your Jesus conquered it, right? Like your Savior was tempted in every way, just as you and I are. But he didn't sin. He didn't falter. And instead, he went to the cross for all your sins. And what about that, that, that perfect record against temptation? That's what he gives you. That when God looks at you, he sees you just as his own son, perfect against temptation. But like the, the father in Luke 15, when his son comes back, he hugs him, he embraces him, and he throws a party. That's, that's the power of God to get you through this. And if we had brothers and sisters, and I believe we do, who would share this truth with one another, encourage and bear one another's burdens, maybe the church wouldn't be the place that you run from. But it would be the first thing you think of and run to for help to overcome that temptation. God is faithful. And you're going to be tempted. But God's faithfulness and goodness is greater than that temptation. And he offers help through prayer, through the word and sacraments, and through brothers and sisters in Christ, encouraging one another, bearing each other's burdens. And that is how God is stronger than that temptation and how God can help you conquer that temptation. When we gather at the foot of the cross, and talk about and, and, and point to the one who is greater than all temptation and who defeated all temptation. That is how God will provide a way out for your temptation so you can endure. Amen.